Hi, everyone, and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I'm Nigel Griswold, co-founder and CEO of Dynamo Metrics, and your host. In this episode, I'm joined by Ben Collender, Economic Development Director for Salt Lake City, Utah. Prior to Ben's current position in Salt Lake City, he served as senior advisor to the executive director of Select USA, the government-wide initiative to attract and retain foreign business investment in the United States. As a presidentially appointed official, Ben provided guidance to the executive director to create jobs, spur economic growth, and promote American competitiveness. Before joining Select USA, he was dedicated to the development of Afghanistan's economy as an official in the U.S. Department of Defense. Ben's projects focused on stabilizing the war-torn country through economic development initiatives in the Kashmir sector. He spent time on the ground in Afghanistan advising the Afghan government, local Afghan businesses, and the U.S. government on policies that would help generate economic growth in the sector. Ben's work was instrumental to the sector's more than double growth from 2012 to 2015, and he was recognized from both the Afghanistan and U.S. governments for his contributions to the sector. Ben has an MBA with an emphasis in globalization and international trade from Georgetown University and a bachelor's in philosophy from Utah State University. Our conversation contextualizes Ben's global experience and how he applies it to domestic economic development policy, the role of partnerships and collaboration in a healthy economy, and Salt Lake City's strategic approach to supporting inclusive growth, building human capital, and fostering healthcare innovation. And now, my conversation with Ben. All right, welcome to Ahead of the Curve. Today on Ahead of the Curve, we have Ben Collender. Ben is the Director of the Department of Economic Development in Salt Lake City, Utah. Welcome to the show, Ben. Thanks, Nigel. Great to be here with you. Yeah, really appreciate having you on. Excited to talk about your experience in the world of economic development, your background and your approach to economic development during these times, during these different times. Maybe, maybe for starters, Ben, you can... You can give us some background on how you found yourself into the world of economic development, uh, economic development policy, and um, and how you found yourself to where you are today. Yeah, thanks, Nigel. So my career in economic development started, I would say, as most economic developers do um, in Afghanistan. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. I mean, uh, it's a bit of a unique path. I think in starting out my economic development career, I actually started out with a special mission task force out of the Pentagon looking to, yeah, looking to stabilize Afghanistan through, uh, through job growth and strategic industry. So, you know, I did that for a few years, focusing specifically on some of Afghanistan's indigenous industries. So Kashmir was a lot of where I spent my time and focus and looking at everything from bringing up old cotton machines that are actually better at processing cashmere than cotton nowadays, because if you do a, you know, high speed cotton machine, you're going to tear apart the cashmere all the way to um, connecting with global markets and looking at export regulations. So, you know, that's where my career started in economic development. And, you know, that took me once that we, we declared an official end to the war back at the end of 2014, I, shifted to the Obama administration and spent a couple of years there working on inward investment. So a lot of my economic development experience has been focused on the international side, which is 
actually been a great fit. So after the Obama administration ended, I came back to Salt Lake City and we're known as a, a, a really globally focused city. So it's a, a really great fit because it's also close to home. I mean, I grew up about an hour north in Brigham City. And so I got to basically come home and, and use my experience for really my, uh, my, my hometown. So it's great. Oh, that's fantastic. That's such an interesting path to get into, you know, stateside municipal economic development policy, like having that international experience. I have, I'm, I'm really curious about it. So, I, you know, I'm an economist. I get, I get really nerdy about where you are on the planet and what are the different resources and uh, economic outputs of that region, right? And then, and then how government works, like how do the institutions work together to actually grease the chain so that products can move either regionally, statewide, or, or internationally. And so I'm really curious, like what it was like to, to engage with the Afghani government. I just want to dive into some of that history a little bit to learn, like identifying product industries, but then helping, helping get that to market. Was it working with the national government there or was the U.S. primarily financing that supply chain or how did that work? Yeah, it was primarily working with the Afghan government. So we were essentially consultants, civilian consultants uh, in the Department of Defense. So our task force was unique in that we could get outside the wire. So we didn't have to stay in the green zone. We could go out and meet with local businesses and understand what their challenges were and, and really piece together what some interventions could be to help their economy. And I have to say, you know, reflecting on my work in Afghanistan and coming here and working at a local level and seeing all that's gone on in politics recently, I'll tell you there's a genuine appreciation for the rule of law and what that means. I'd say first and foremost, as an economic driver, when we think nationally, sometimes we lose sight of the rule of law and Sometimes we could get overly bureaucratic in certain ways, and that gets adjusted over time. But there's an importance to these rules and these laws here that in other places just you don't have an appreciation for. And those are really the foundational building blocks, I think, that we take for granted sometimes here in the United States of how we build an economy. Because when we set a rule, people actually listen to it, right? Yes. Um, so... Speaking from a global perspective for a second, I think that's oftentimes left behind and taken for granted. Yes. Yeah. And that's to me, it's really it's really neat to to remember that the, the U.S. government, when we're in a, a foreign country, we were actually in there. Like I, I think of like the winning hearts and minds concept that like feels so far away right now. But it's like in there, like working with local businesses, helping them bring products to market and helping them grow their economy. So they're like, you actually are delivering stability through expertise, right? Like that's a pretty neat thing. <laughs> yeah, it was quite an innovative concept and it was actually born out of the Hearts and Minds campaign. Is that right? That's right. So uh, it's funny that you go straight there because that's the intent. And it's really, a, it, was a, it was a new perspective on economic development in, in that Hearts and Minds campaign. So that's cool. That's cool. And so... And then I'm, I'm curious about the, the inward investment approach with the Obama administration. Was that, were you out of DC at that time and then working on international products or how did, how did that gig work? 
Yeah. So my work in Afghanistan actually was a hybrid between DC and Afghanistan. So I spent a good portion of my time in Afghanistan, came back to DC and was back and forth. And my wife was actually in DC as well. So it was a lot of time in the air. And (laughs) when that concluded, you know, I met with a couple of friends and, and really, you know, the background in international economic development was appealing to go to an, an organization like Select USA, which is the U.S. nationwide effort to promote America as a great place to do business and recruit inward investment in. And so spent a couple of years there with some great people. And it, it just a, such a fantastic mission that's still going on. And it really is about selling the United States based on things like the rule of law, because I think here, you know, you could say rule of law and it doesn't really mean much. But if you, but if you like, because we're so used to it, right? But you sure, go yeah. outside of our market and people really do have a genuine appreciation for what that means. And so everything from the rule of law aspect to, I mean, in the United States, we care so much about certain things as well that apply to some of your earlier remarks and that we have strong intellectual and property rights that make people feel more secure in starting a business and building it or moving a big portion of their business here from overseas. So um, mm-hmm. those things are really core when we think about some of the global dynamics. And I know we're going to get into Salt Lake City in a minute, but you know, yeah. when we think about some of the global mechanisms, th- those things are really important and make a big difference. Absolutely. And that's some of the, the, the things I'm most excited to talk about is how you've captured that experience of the, the international approach to economic development and knowledge you've gained in that process and how you're applying it locally into like a targeted, healthy American city market space. Right. So maybe uh, from the top, just you want to give like a, a 30,000 foot view or maybe a 5,000 foot view, however you want to do it, of of Salt Lake City and kind of its setup in terms of the markets, so it's its local economy and the people there. Yeah, I, I think it's you know important to start from a global perspective when we're talking about Salt Lake City. That's the way my mind works. So when we think about the United States as a whole, we're fortunate enough to have one the strongest economy in the world, in my opinion, bar none. There are different ways to measure that, but you know bar none economic output, the United States is number one. And when you look at within the United States, you have 50 states, right? We, we're essentially a republic of 50 different states. And, and, you know, based on economic strength, Utah is either ranked first, second, or third in the United States in their positioning as a state. And so if you took all the averages of the ranking, I'd prob- uh, I'm just guessing here, but I'd probably say it's number one. And Salt Lake City serves as the capital city of Utah and is the economic driver and the economic engine of the state. And so bringing that context down, uh, not to not to gloat or to say we're the best or anything, but I think it's important context to keep in mind when thinking of our economic strengths and using them in the way that help to benefit our residents. So talking about Salt Lake City as it's unique not just from an economic perspective, but as a city, I mean, we've got mountains surrounding us. You could go out and go skiing in 30 minutes from downtown. You've got an international airport 15 minutes away. We've got all these outdoor trails in a city that's so urban and dense in its core. And so it's, 
it's kind of a unique city. It, it, I don't know if you've ever been here, but you can I feel have. it right away. Yeah. yeah, I love I love Salt Lake City. And one of my dear friends, I'm I'm from northern Michigan, the Traverse City area originally. And one of my dear friends from growing up, he found himself in Salt Lake City. So he's based there. He's a chiropractor there, actually. But um, yeah, I, I think you have a fantastic city. So in terms of the actual production, like actual industries, outputs, those things. Can you give a rundown of those things? I know tourism is strong because you're a footprint close to all the amazing outdoors activities and all the other pieces, but other like outputs, what are the industries in in the economic setup for the city? Yeah, what we actually take great pride in locally, one, we're really collaborative. So, you know, if you're, if you're a business here, you get plugged into the system pretty quickly, but you know, the other thing is we're a really diverse economy here locally, and that's intentional. We've really felt the benefits of that as we go through COVID-19. So you talked about the tourism industry. That's been hit really hard. Retail, restaurants, we've seen a lot of these industries get negatively impacted. And some, some cities are wholly reliant on some of these industries. And so where we've seen that shift is obviously to construction and some of these other industries like logistics and supply chains and, you know, all the benefits that are coming with that and seeing that balance out our economy. Of course, we're looking at how do we lessen the impact of those most negatively impacted both businesses and people. Um, But, you know, where we're diverse as an economy has really been our strength through this pandemic. And we don't necessarily lean in all on one industry, though I will say where we've seen a tremendous amount of growth and our mayor has been, she has a crystal ball on this, uh, so to speak, is she wanted to lead out on healthcare innovation before the pandemic even hit. And so we were already putting the pieces together to do that. And, you know, when the pandemic hit, it's just a natural fit for our, I I would call it our economic recovery task force, so to speak, uh, putting this industry together, getting it to be a little more collaborative. Because what we have going on right now is all this great technology coming out of the University of Utah, one of the universities best at commercializing technology as well. And so how to use those strengths to really, to their fullest economic potential. So, you know, industry that we're really paying close attention to and getting that collaboration going right now and setting up the the foundation to really make a make a dent in uh in a, in a positive way in our economy so that's really cool so is there probably some focus on tech transfer out of the university for things like startups and tech and those pieces and then the other quite the follow-on there is is there like a, a venture capital scene that is buffering that or is the state coming to support that startup world like is that whole ecosystem functioning yeah so we actually it's happening in multiple ways and we don't necessarily want to control it i think what we want to do is more foster it and get the voices in the room but we have a great resource out of the university of utah called the pivot center that helps to um, bring technologies to market and helps grow some of these technologies as well. And so they're a key resource locally in partnerships with, you know, uh, some of the private capital and also some of the public capital as well. So um, Mm -hmm. 
you know, we have a, what we have with them is a great partner to sort of bring those things together for businesses. Cause it can be complex to try and figure out, <laughs> you know, what about this resource? What about that? And, you know, there are other ways to find resources, but the pivot center is a great one-stop shop for that. Right. Uh, yes. Like I get really curious about that. The, the strategic role of like, you know, a department of economic development at a municipality and how they participate in deal making between state, private partners, other public sector partners to and in universities to like to grow the pie, right? To grow opportunity. And so this is really insightful for me. So what this makes me want to do is kind of roll into some operational discussion just because I nerd out on how uh, economic development, community development, and like the relationship between local government and its citizens and the health of its economy work, right? Right. And, and so I'm really curious about how you set up your operation, like your staffing and, um, and, and how you go about that, given that you're in a leadership role. Yeah, this is, this is really interesting because we've made a pivot recently in how we do economic development. And I think it's, it's very relevant to your question in that, like, how do we focus and provide value to our residents? You know, I'll say first, this pandemic has brought to light some real systemic challenges that exist, that economic development has a huge opportunity to give focus to and, and help, I don't want to say provide solutions for, but bring people together around at a minimum. And Absolutely. so, so where we pivoted recently is, you know, I, I think a lot of the traditional economic development, I'm not saying this is wrong, but it's just economic development is different for every community. You know, whether you're a nonprofit, whether you're a government, whether you're a private sector, completely private sector economic development operation, and depending on your city, it's going to be different if you're a town, if you're a city, if you're a state and what you what tools you have in your tool belt. One thing that we're doing in Salt Lake City that is very intentional, specifically with me as director, I've stepped in and said, look, you have all these different forms of capital you could look at. You know, you've got financial capital, which you touched on. You've got intellectual capital, which you've also touched on. You've got so financial, intellectual, you've got physical capital, which is, you know, real estate infrastructure. And then you've got human capital. And what we say, what we've been saying, and it's kind of a technical, nerdy economic development term, so I'm sure you'll appreciate it. But, you know, <laughs> we really want to use all forms of capital to support human capital. And what that means is in a typical deal, you may see, hey, this meets some priorities in this way. Here's where we're going to do this incentive or, you know, for a real estate deal specifically, or at the state level, maybe it's an income deal, at least in the state of Utah, because they collect income tax, right? It may be focused on jobs, it may be focused on real estate. But what we're trying to say here locally is, you know, how do we intentionally use our economy for our residents? And how do we say, for example, and I'll give you an example through the mayor's Tech Lake City initiative that we're working on now. How do we get this industry together and make an intentional economic mobility play for some of our underserved residents? How do we not just say, I'm going to solely hire PhDs 
and I'm going to use human capital as a commodity, how do I instead change the narrative and think about it as growth? How do I bring in people at an early stage and bring them up with the success of my company and provide a benefit in that way rather than just like having a a rat race for talent around the globe, essentially, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Um, And so that comes with some very intentional things that we're doing on our end, whether it's partnerships with local community colleges, the universities, even K through 12 12 education, creating apprenticeships, and also asking for flexibility from industry to say, look, it may not be a perfect fit for some of these jobs, but as as we think about how we develop talent, let's look at those opportunities and where they exist and identify those and then bring our workforce up with companies in such a way that really benefits our community and structure the things that we're doing around that concept. Wow. I really, I really like what you guys are doing. There's, so it sounds like it sounds like having human capital as kind of your operating function at the center of like your, your economic development policy objectives. Is that right? That's, that's absolutely right. Okay. That's so like, that's what I'm hearing. That's fantastic. So it's like inclusive and equitable growth. It sounds like to potentially underserved communities as well as the rest, but that's like that comes into play when that's your policy objective, right? Absolutely. And what I'll say too is oftentimes we hear about, hey, this company brought in 2,000 six-figure jobs. I'm just coming up with a number, right? And everybody's, whoa, that's great. And of course, people get jobs there. But the question to really ask in economic development is in those jobs, Are they benefiting the people that couldn't have otherwise benefited themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or is this a structural need in our economy? Or is it more, you've got, everybody talks about the missing middle and, you know, giving focus to the, how to bring people into the middle class. Is it a focus on that? Or is it a focus on, we already, we'll pull them up through the six figure jobs. And it's, it's really dependent on your community. Honestly, I'm not trying to prescribe an exact answer, but for us, it's at least uh, more of a focus about being intentional with our economy on some of our underserved populations. I really appreciate that. I mean, through, through nationwide movements that are unfolding, right? Like social equity movements, Black Lives Matter movements that have, you know, nationwide, it's like, it's like, I feel like, eyes are open right now to like, you know, inclusive and equitable growth is a critical component of a healthy economy, right? Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. And so I really love what it's doing to, to our economic development policy objectives. Like it feels like progress. So I, it's nice to hear this for sure. And um, if I can chime in and say, we were, I, had, I don't want to say we have a crystal ball in Salt Lake City, but we were lucky enough in 2019, towards the end of 2019, to host the United Nations here. First time ever on U.S. soil that they've turned an area into what they call a blue zone, which is extraterritorial property of the U.N. First time they've ever done that outside of their headquarters in New York on U.S. soil. So we had them here and we we talked about sustainable development goal number 11, which is building um, inclusive cities and communities. And you know, that for us as a community was an eye opener even before this pandemic hit and drove a lot of what we're doing now with our focus on human capital. And so, 
you know, uh, just a, a shout out to our, our colleagues at the, at the United Nations who thought about doing this innovative approach in terms of coming on U.S. soil for an event and considering having a conversation with the locality and bringing people in for that from all over the world. That was something that really personally for me as an economic developer really was enlightening and helped to clarify this intent. Yeah, that's amazing, Ben. That's that's really neat. You get to be a part of that. Wow. So I kind of want to get a little, take some time to get a little more specific on your on your work world, like initiatives and maybe even some case studies. Because we, we got the general approach, like these policy objectives that are your operating principles, which are fantastic. And so I'm, I'm really curious about like the partnership environment. Like who are, do you have go-to public sector partners, go-to private sector partners, go-to uh, nonprofit partners? Like what does the partner spread look like that are common? Um, or is it different every time? I'm just the partnership world. So uh, the fact that you bring that up is really our strength here locally is that you're never going to get, even if we have opposing views from a partner on a particular topic, we'll all come to the table and, and work it through, right? And ultimately, we get a better product. So just to put that piece first and then say, really, partnering and collaboration is, is the strength here locally. And whether it's between you know, public sector, private sector, nonprofit, a mix of all of them. We've got wonderful family foundations here locally, We've got wonderful uh, government partners with GoEd, with the county, with others. We've got the university that steps up and, and is very involved in a lot of the conversations that we have as well. So across the board, we have partners who are very willing and eager to engage and have discussions. Uh, I'll say how that comes together. And not every partner is needs to be in every conversation, right? But one way that a group of partners came together with this healthcare innovation initiative that we've been working on is what's called the BioHive. So this is something that's been, I would say, organically formed in some ways. The potential mm-hmm. has been there organically. Um but our mayor, Mayor Mendenhall, came up and said, like, look, we need some we need to formalize some sort of collaboration to help it grow and had asked our local bio industry head to consider a subset for healthcare innovation and his efforts surrounded around the idea of a corridor for healthcare innovation in Salt Lake City. And so we brought stakeholders to the table and they came up with a set of recommendations and it was they convened industry to start. Right. But they came up with a set of recommendations that then we could talk about and figure out what what tool would be appropriate. And ultimately, through those conversations, a nonprofit was formed in that now exists as the BioHive. And so this is a group of industry individuals, government and nonprofit that all come together to, you know, address needs of the industry, as well as really promoting what what the industry is doing here locally you know, all the way from the entrepreneur stage to the mature company, you know, somebody's hiring or somebody just got equity funding, they're out there talking about the good things happening in the industry. So that for them, having that brand and that cohesion was really important. And now the work turns to really that collaboration between public sector 
and the industry to really build on this human capital concept. And so now that that organized platform is in place, we're, sit, we're starting to have those conversations now of how do we wrap our minds around how we can support this industry and how this industry can support you know, our residents in the city as well. And so those are some of the next steps coming, coming up for uh, the BioHive and for our mayor. That's, that's really exciting. Like you're leveraging, leveraging the power of, of your regional partners to put focus on a core industry cluster, right? Like a, create a rallying point for growth. That's fantastic. That, that makes a ton of sense. So that industry corridor, that's, that's like a case study, right? I'm curious about like a very specific deal that like you want to cherry pick and highlight. The play-by-play on how, let's say, some new footprint occurred and was built out and like you planned and you worked with planners and like built housing or, I mean, are there any of those that exist where it was like you, you did some some placemaking around some economic development or anything like that, that you'd want to cherry pick? Well, I'd love to be talking about those at this stage, but that's going to be really our phase two in how do we <laughs> create those, how do we create that platform for that collaboration? Right now, the state right. of the industry's in is really promoting the work that's being done and mm-hmm. uh, really building into the mission more and more with industry of uh, that human capital perspective. And so that's what's Got taking place right now. But that, to your point, that's where we're going with this, right? How do we look to support this industry? Like, you know, ideally, we'd like to have talent fostered locally to help support this industry, but that's not always going to be possible. Sometimes you need some specific expertise that there's no way to it takes decades to train for. That's going to have sure. to be brought in. And sometimes there are reasons that this talent maybe isn't interested in Salt Lake City. And so taking a look at those sorts of you know issues for industry as well is something that will be on the docket, I'm sure, is like how to, how to recruit that talent that will help to build industry in a way that can ultimately support the human capital that exists here in Salt Lake City. Yeah, that's, that's, that's like something that we in Michigan have done a lot of in terms of our economic development policy. My mentor, he was actually the last one on the, my last podcast guest, um, Dr. Ed Elijah from Michigan State University. He came in in the early, uh, early or the late aughts, I guess, uh, when the policies really hit. But it was all about place-based strategies, right? Like taking our assets and creating environments that attract and retain the talent we want that are relevant to the industry clusters that we have a strategic advantage in and making it a good place to live for those people. Right. Yeah. And actually, and actually using that as economic development policy, making the places and the sense of place and the cultural values and all these pieces like attractive to knowledge workers who can choose where they want to be. Right. Absolutely. And I love that you mentioned Michigan because having the perspective of working with Select USA, we worked a lot with both the state and local levels um, in their initiatives and got to see the different flavors of different regions and what they did. And you're right, that actually stuck with me from Select USA is how great Michigan was at doing just that. Thank you. That's I that's a big part of my career. So I, I appreciate you seeing that. <laughs> We've worked hard. We've worked hard in Michigan. It's like, and, and and I think in Salt Lake City, I mean, you guys have such amazing resources in terms of the natural resource base and, you know, clearly well-developed uh, industry clusters. So it's like, 
how to leverage that natural resource base into, you know, walkable communities that are near where folks work or different things like that. Like, um, I feel like there's a huge opportunity there for you guys. Absolutely. And it's one of the benefits of being an urban core is that, you know, with some minor adjustments, we could drastically improve some of our walkability and experiences in living in the urban yeah. core. We actually recently had uh, the head of Happy Cities come in and speak with our downtown alliance. And just, I think everybody was all over everything he was talking to the group <laughs> about in terms of how to everything from your retail spaces being closer together to really making that decisions on trade-offs between parking and walkability. And so absolutely. So this is something I'm curious about that comes up in this is like, like land use land cover, get like a little nerdy on the planning side of this. Like (laughs) how, like I'm curious about like density and like if you guys are expanding footprint or if, if you're built out inside the city boundary or how does that, how does expansion planning look for you guys? Yeah. So it's got to be dense. Uh, so Salt mm-hmm. Lake is, is basically fully built out and, you know, the percentage of land that is authorized for housing in the city is actually fairly minimal. And I don't have the exact percentage off the top of my head, but all to say any new housing or residential is going to have to be dense multifamily uh, with with the exceptions if we want to increase our population here in Salt Lake City. Now, there are a variety of ways to look at that. I, I think for our downtown, what's interesting is we have a lot of commercial base there and there's an opportunity to build residential, to build that vibrancy and more mm-hmm. activation downtown all hours of the, you know, of the day and not just during work hours because a lot of commuters come in which is not great for sustainability purposes, right? You know, you're driving in and then driving back home in some of our more rural areas or even just outside of the city in general. So, you know, the opportunity is really to build dense housing, which will provide more vibrancy, more sustainability, and really a healthier economy downtown as people go to more local restaurants that live here locally, but also come in from outside the urban core too go to these restaurants as well. So that's something that's definitely in the works. But yeah, to your to your question, it definitely has to be a focus on density here locally. Yeah, like like I go down these rabbit holes with economic development where so in Michigan, I, I fully understand our property tax law and most of the states in the Midwest just because I'm, you know, a land use economist in the Midwest. <laughs> but but I'm not sure how tax law, how property tax law works in Utah. So as you grow your economic base, how does that translate into the property tax base and revenue stream for for your city? Yeah, what's interesting is our our housing property tax is subsidized at the state level by state statute, which makes it, it. Um, roughly half of what the commercial taxable base would be for a property. So residential is subsidized, which incentivize more of the commercial development that's taking, you know, that's taken place in the past. But, you know, there's a value beyond property tax to consider in sales tax, right? In a ba- more balanced economy as well. Yes. And so I, I think that catches up with time, mm-hmm. but that subsidizing of residential definitely does incentivize a little bit more on the commercial side. But over time, you see that, you know, if you want to capture the sales tax base, 
which are the two primary tax bases for Salt Lake City, you, you've really got to you've got to build the residential aspect here because yeah. we the same as it used to be. We've got a great mall downtown with City Creek, but you know a lot of people are going online for what they purchase now and will come downtown for an experience as opposed to necessarily just shopping, right? So that shift actually provides some incentive to look at that as well. Right. And so that's, I mean, so that's the Dynamo metrics world, right? Like I'm always curious about, and we've tried to create software products for it too, but where you can actually see from the public sector view, like see the trade-offs of the revenue side of things and the, the community impacts from alternative decision paths on economic development and community development, right? So I get really curious about that. And and the data, the information lives on the individual properties, right? And so it can be streamed into these data systems that actually inform predictive environments from what you've learned as an outcome of your previous choices, right? right? And so I'm really curious about data in general, like if there's any data initiatives at the city to work towards performance measurements or key performance indicators or how they using the using data in the city for for your guys initiatives is applied. Yeah, so a lot of the data that we collect I'll set aside the tax base information for sure, just a minute. But sure. A lot of our measurements that we've traditionally captured in economic development or a lot of the traditional ones outside of the tax base conversation in capex jobs, square footage, types of Mm -hmm. uh, companies recruited in or retained, right? And one thing that we put an emphasis on as well is to keep keep tabs on our local companies in terms of what their needs are, what uh, opportunities or challenges they're seeing. So we do quite a few in-person site visits, or we did before the pandemic, uh, quite a few site visits to our local companies every year. We were at about 300 a year before the pandemic hit. And so a lot of what we get is qualitative as, as well as quantitative. And, you know, where where we're going in our shift to focus on human capital, I'm going to do the boring nerdy thing, which I, I'm, I'm sure you're going to appreciate. We, <laughs> we look at our master plans and it's something that we're giving a lot of attention to right now. And I'm in conversations about how do we actually... You know, when we think about human capital and focusing it in the right way for what we do for economic development, what I actually want to do is pull our one of our equity goals from our master plan and put it squarely in the mission of economic development. And it's what's called the opportunity index score. And it's a measure of equity across zip codes, cities, counties, states, the country. Mm -hmm. And it puts together everything from community factors, to health factors, to economic factors, and how do you bring that all together to think about opportunity? Uh, and how do you roll that up into one overall grade and metric? And, and that's one thing that will really guide a lot of our efforts, aside from the standard economic development metrics and, and our tax base measurements. The other thing is our focus on the tax base, of course, and how do we you know, with our efforts more intentionally, you know, I'll, I'll use an example because it's easier to work in examples. Sure. When this pandemic hit, we were looking at, like many cities, we were looking at how do we safely do certain economic activations? 
And we did this um, exercise with our downtown alliance to close off our main street. Started off with one block, ultimately went to four blocks. And it allowed businesses to expand outdoors for people to come downtown and experience the downtown uh, when people had been cooped up for a little while at that point. And this was some months ago. But, you know, what we're trying to learn from that exercise, and to your point about measuring this, we have the tools to measure it. It just takes us some time right now. Right. But what did that have in terms of a sales tax impact on our city? What did that event do? It cost us some money, but what did it earn us? And what's that cost benefit? Not only to the qualitative side of businesses in our downtown property owners were really happy about how that went and even got some really great ideas about how to expand that. But beyond that, how do we communicate that to some of our policymakers to say, this actually had a net positive for our economy, take out staff time, take out any expenses that the city had to help make this happen. This had a net positive. And if you scale that, here's what that net positive will be. We don't know the answers to that. We're working through those details right now with our finance department and they're great at helping us through that. But but to your mm-hmm. point, having an agile platform to say, look, you did this, here's the output. That That's something we could find a lot of value in. Yeah, I mean, that I, I love that. Like that is speaking my language. Like I'm so hardwired through my training to be a performance measurement evaluation economist on, on public sector policy. So the questions I always have are, you know, with human capital as our operating center point as a policy objective, what are the measurements we're putting against that to see if we're moving the needle in the direction we want to move it? in terms of making that better, right? Is that is that policy objective being met through our evaluation metrics? Yes or no, but then how is it moving over time? Are we trending correctly through our actions, right? Right, right. and being able to, uh, now this may be too, too weedy or not possible, and it sort of depends <laughs> on the metric and the initiative, but sure. on a project by project basis, can we say, here's a program, here's a project, here's how much they're both moving the needle and the objectives are these pieces of this metric or this metric as a whole, right? Absolutely. One metric I didn't touch on and that is really core for everything we do in economic development is some of our arts metrics. I've talked a lot about um, economic metrics, but the arts actually roll up to a lot of those in a significant way for our urban core And, you know, some areas they don't and they're more qualitative would be like our public art, right? Like you're not going to be able to measure your tax base against public art and say, I mean, maybe you can. I don't know if you've done that. We'd love the information, but a little bit more of a vague realm to say how that builds your economy. It's more of a qualitative aspect in terms of quality of life and, you know, sense of belonging for your community, right? It's hard. It's really hard to measure that through the tax base, but um, a lot of our metrics in terms of how we talk about workforce development, we're sort of we're bringing the arts into those conversations as well in terms of how do you think about arts and their recovery, not just as what ends up in a piece of public art or providing grants to organizations. Of course, we're still going to do that. But how do we start to think about it in terms of how do we have more artists here? How do we yeah. have 
Yeah. Uh, how do we build that and what we're doing and how do we have that? The arts is such an important piece of our social fabric. How do we use that to express who we are and also invite more people in to participate in that at the same time? We have some metrics in our master plan and the arts is actually a part of economic development as well in Salt Lake City. How do we how do we use those parts of our master plan in this holistic way between equity, the economy, and then some of the pieces of the arts that don't necessarily fit into either of those, but still provide a huge value to our residents and our economy? How do we how do we pull that all together in a vision? And that's essentially what we're doing here. Got it. Yeah. To give you like an example of how Dynamo, like my co-founder and I, we come from a world of uh, building out models and data systems to evaluate public policy, right? And so when you when you just said that, like like our hypothesis around the arts would be something along the lines of this, where it's like, so you've done it a few times, or you know where some artists live, <laughs> like there's an right. artist community in your city. And then if you have good data, you can look back in time from when that started to spark and then look at the underlying the underlying pulse of the economy as it changed and was dynamic over time as that flourished and then, and then learn, right? Like you can evaluate what the changes were and what the ripe environment was with some qualitative interviews and things like that. And then have a stronger understanding of if we, if we try to recreate or, uh, or incentivize that environment again, this looks like a good place to do that. And here's why. Right. And then you can actually build that argument and rally resources and then test how you do as you go. Right. You can use those same metrics to see if you're meeting that goal of that initiative. Right. Absolutely. That's great. Anyway, this is this is what I get passionate about. (laughs) Okay, so this is this is really exciting. It's really fun to hear how you're how you're doing this, Ben. So I want to get into some other things that I'm, I'm curious about. So overarching the COVID-19 effect, like I'm curious how that has affected your day-to-day or like the work over the last year and your thinking or your approach as the vaccine is rolling out and things hopefully start to stabilize over the next six, nine months, a year, how you're approaching that in Salt Lake City and how you're thinking about it. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Where we're keeping our eye on right now as it pertains to our economy is, you know, there have been, as I've said before, and as everybody knows, it, the, the impact of COVID-19 is an imbalanced one. It hits certain sectors of our economy worse than others. And, you know, our focus is going to be not just everybody's got the vaccines done, economy, life back to normal, but rather a lot of these businesses, whether it's hospitality, whether it's, you know, uh, the, our arts industry, whether it's our, you know, local restaurants, they're going to need more than just what the status quo was before to recover. And that's a lot of the conversation we're having now is how do we not just think about this in terms of vaccines back to normal? How do, mm-hmm. how do we instead think of this as, look, this is going to be long term and we need to help some of our local industries have the resources 
whether it's extra space to expand to, whether it's a place to have a performance, right, that isn't as costly maybe as it was before the pandemic, whether it's, you know, a, a variety of things. How do we have those mechanisms or those um, incentives in place that help well beyond when people have their vaccines in their arms and we can all go back to normal? I think there's a, a very interesting placemaking opportunity for all of us to think more expansively about, you know, walkable cities, about vibrancy in terms of, you know, uh, when you're walking downtown, you've got really interesting structures that are there that you can go have a, an experience dining in, right? And being a winter city in Salt Lake City, you know, how can you do that year round and maybe even provide additional benefit to some businesses well beyond just the pandemic and help them recover through a business way rather than just you know, some grants, although the grants are really helpful and those are uh, definitely an important component of recovery, how to think beyond that, right? And that that's more or less where our head's at right now is having some conversations with our policymakers and uh, our elected officials about what is that, how do we move that piece forward to think about this a little more longer term and think about it as a really great brand, you know, there are a lot of great Nordic cities that are a lot colder than Salt Lake City that do year-round outdoor dining. Why can't we do that here? And why can't we make that an experience that you can travel in for? Why can't we be thinking about those things, not just now, but long-term? And, and you know, that that's more or less where our head's at. The vaccine, we hear different timelines right now, and it's sort of dependent on the supply chain and how that makes its way down to the localities through the states as well. But I'll say Utah's done a really great job. Our governor was on CNN just the other day talking about the distribution process in the state of Utah. And, you know, he has an executive order in place to say the second those things hit the shelf, they're in arms, right? You've got seven days from the from when they come in for it to be in an arm. And, you know, that's going to provide a substantial benefit to our economy to have that shortened supply chain path, at least here in the state of Utah. But, you know, having that down from the national level is something that's a, a bit of a challenge right now. So, you know, as those vaccines become more and more available, we're definitely going to see our tourism economy pick up naturally. But there's some longer term things that we are really giving some focus to right now for recovery. I hope I didn't go off too long on that. But that's, oh, that's great. That's That's exactly what I'm curious about. It's like, and, and your particular experience is interesting to me because you've worked in Afghanistan to circle it back to the beginning of the conversation. You've you've helped rebuild economies in places that are completely ups, you know, turned upside down from war, right? Like you've been in that, right? Yeah, yeah. And so and so now you know some people relate this to a war because so many people are are dying on a daily basis, all of that. But it's like our cities, you know, it's. It's, it's a pandemic, but I mean, the the walkable economies and everything are hit so hard. And so I'm just, what you just said is so, I hear this like build back better concept, like, you know, as like an aggregate policy initiative coming out of the, the, the administration right now, right? And it's like, you said that in different words, I feel like. The status quo, we have we have a chance to disrupt the status quo and make it better than it ever was before. Right. I think that's what I just heard. Right. <laughs> right. Who was it? Rahm Emanuel who said, don't let a good crisis go to waste. Uh, right. <laughs> so 
you know, uh, I think we've all taken on that mentality and you're absolutely right. You know, and I think the challenges that we have experienced in our community, but also as public servants and helping and and navigating some of these challenges really did bring to light some of the systemic things that really could use some attention and will be getting it here in Salt Lake City and I'm sure across the nation. And the building back better piece, I think, is an important thing to highlight is, you know, obviously being a, a member of a previous administration and, and understanding how these policies play down into the mechanisms of the federal government and what that that means. You know, what we hear President Biden saying right now is important because, you know, it's some of the nuanced speech that will make some of the biggest change over time that, you know, whether you hear President Biden talking about, look, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your rural or urban, I'm your president and I will focus on, you know, this country as a whole. And what he's what he's really saying is like, you know, the urban rural divide is something that we talk about quite a bit here in the state of Utah. Salt Lake City has a lot in our rural communities really suffer sometimes. And, you know, how do we think more holistically about this? I saw uh, uh, another firm shared with me this. It was like a fourth grade textbook about civic civic life. And it talked about like how cities need our rural communities and our rural communities need our cities. And if you think about the progression of workforce, and this has been something that has played out as an example with me, you grow up in a rural community, you come through and you may work some of your 20s and 30s and maybe even 40s in in an urban community, and then you go back rural oftentimes. And that cycle is important because we as an urban core should care quite a bit about the education and what's happening in our rural communities and vice versa. You know, you want your rural communities to have great job opportunities, whether it's in a rural community or in an urban community, and you want to keep them close. And it's great that Salt Lake's an engine because you don't lose your workforce to someplace like Washington, D.C. for eight years or something. You know, you can have them come into the urban core and still see them on the weekends, right? So, that sort of a mindset is what I think I hear President Biden saying as it pertains to just rural versus urban. And obviously, you know, as we think about this human capital concept that we're ex- exploring locally in Salt Lake City, I hear a lot of what we're saying in that, in what President Biden is saying as well. We don't need to help those who can help themselves in a lot of ways. We need to have great frameworks that help them grow their businesses and do the things that they're going to do on their own. But you know, really paying attention to the economic mobility and the human capital element for our underserved, how to how to get that foundation under them that they can actually catch their breath. I mean, the, you hear people saying you should go to a community college, but if you're a, a single mother working three jobs, how the heck are you going to go to a community college sure. to be able without some support structure in place to be able to do something like that. So these, these things, you know, are, are really important to focus on in, in terms of providing a pathway for individuals in terms of economic mobility and, and providing substantial value to what they, 
you know, human capital yeah. initiative. Yeah, I really respect your point of view. That's really a super insightful comment there because focusing resources on on folks that are capable of mobilizing if provided proper support networks grows the pie in the aggregate in a way that it could never grow if only those that can lift themselves, you know, up. It's it's totally different. Well, <laughs> it's totally different policy approach. Right? So that's I mean that's a really powerful statement. Absolutely. Well, and it, it's especially important during this pandemic too. Yeah. If you yeah. think about the dynamic taking place, a lot of the industries are going to be fine without the government stepping in and doing something. You've seen this in PPP, how it was administered pretty equally based on a series of metrics in round one. And then they waited in round two, they waited certain industries like uh, restaurants, entertainment, right? You know, you, you get your, I don't want to get into the technicals on this in terms of the, the 3.5 or 2.5, but they, they waited it more towards these heavily impacted industries. And I think we will see more of that theme start to play out in the intention behind having that balance take place a little bit more, whether it's urban or rural or, you know, socioeconomic class as well and what that looks like. Yeah, that's, yes. Let's hope. Let's hope it's moving there. That'd be fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on, Ben. This has been fantastic. Learning about how you you are approaching economic development in Salt Lake City and your unique experience. This is really this is really exciting. I think um, our audience has a lot to um, to chew on from this <laughs> from this <laughs> podcast. So I really appreciate your time and, and thanks a lot for coming. Well, thank you, Nigel. It's been great to have a chat with you about what we're doing here locally. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ahead of the Curve, and special thanks to Ben for joining us today.